Good morning, dear family. Will you join me in the prayer for guidance? Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with glad hearts what you say to us today. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But if each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift, therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. Now when it says he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. 
the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thank you, Peggy. And um, These words from Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Uh, The last time I preached two weeks ago, talked about how uh, Jesus had broken down the wall of separation between the Gentiles and the Jews, and we are all one. And then Paul, in another uh, place in his letter, is going to see that, say that there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, free nor slave, but we are all one in Christ. Christ has broken down these walls. So you know, I, was, I was talking about what does it mean for us to break down walls. I, I got an email from uh, someone who was uh, here that day, and uh, they uh, talked about the wall that they felt uh, they made by the way they sat in church, that they sat, and I'm not going to put people who are sitting at the end of the pew on the spot here, but, you know, uh, but they sat in a place and close to the doors where they could quickly get out. And they said, my whole posture, and as I looked around uh, uh, in, in the room, I could see how we sort of have little walls of separation between each other. And she said she was going to make a pledge to God to tear that wall down, to be more open to the people around her. And so I, I hope that, that sometimes the message, God's word speaking to us, does speak to our hearts, and not only speaks to us in a way that touches our minds, but also touches our hearts and our wills and brings about some change in us. That, that is the purpose. If we simply are hearers of the word and not doers, then it's all for naught. Jesus came that we might do God's will and not simply know God's will. And so we're in another section of scripture here in Ephesians uh, chapter 4. And if you have a Bible, I'd really encourage you to, to go there. And if you kind of feel like you're drifting off listening to me, go back into God's word and spend a little time there. Because the, this is a powerful <laughs> section of scripture here. And it is really a key uh, to our Christian life. Uh, Keith Green back in, um, uh, back in the 70s wrote a song uh, called Asleep in the Light. And he said, the world is sleeping in the dark, but the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. The world is sleeping in the dark, but the church can't fight because we're asleep in the light. And what that means to me is that the world may be apart from God and not aware of God and not responding to God because it is in the darkness, because it can't see God. But we who are in the light have no excuse to be asleep. Part of the reason I think that we are asleep, part of the reason that Paul has to write even to that generation back then in the first century in Ephesus to say, wake up. Awake to the calling that you have been given is because we are in such a narcissistic state in our, in our culture. And that's not unusual. That has been true from the very beginning. The very first sins had elements of narcissism. It's about me. That's what, that's what the serpent in the garden, that's what Satan originally appealed to. What if you could be like God? What if you could have all this knowledge? So he appealed to that, to that selfishness within us, that narcissism. And it's really, uh, it's, it's a topic of a lot of studies and a lot of commentary today, the narcissism of our time. And it's very hard to get people to, to move away from that and toward the selflessness of Jesus Christ's message. But 
God knows that our joy will be made complete when we do make that move. When we give up the illusion of happiness through selfishness and understand the truth of true joy in giving to others. Uh, There was a recent survey that said 17% of young people, I I, I don't know what the age uh, range was in there, I'd have to go back and look at that, but young people, 17% of them said that the number one uh, goal for them in life was fame. They went back to 1992 and said in the same survey, the same question, it wasn't in the top 15 of answers, fame. People didn't regard fame as a life goal, but 17% represented the number one goal of young people, to be famous. And maybe it's the American Idol phenomenon, the voice and those things. So much of our, of our culture and our media have, have been around self-glory uh, uh, to the point that we bought into that and really believe that that is the way to gain true happiness in this life. But, you know, uh, uh, one of the Psalms says that that I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord. I'd rather be the doorman, (laughs) the servant in the house of the Lord, than to have that kind of thing, than to have everything in the world. I'd rather just be a servant of God. And I, I have found that true in my life. It's the times of greatest joy or the times when I'm doing something that's not with that ulterior motive of getting some kind of recognition or some kind of thanks. You do things secretly, and you do it unto God. So Paul is, is writing this, and he gives us, he gives us four elements of, of what the Christian life is supposed to be about. And he begins with by saying, as a prisoner for the Lord. You do know that when Paul was writing this, he's in prison. You know, he's not sitting in some... Rich pastors study someplace, uh, trying to think out these things, but he is actually living the servitude of the Lord. He is actually a co-sufferer with Jesus Christ for the sake of the good news that God loves this world and God wants this world to be saved through Jesus. And so he says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. But I would also say that he was a prisoner of the Lord, that his heart had been captured by Jesus Christ. And so he understands that even in that dark dungeon that he is in, some of you saw the recent movie about Paul, uh, Saul of Tarsus, the movie that was out at the movie theaters. I went and saw it with Lydia. And it was a little bit hard to take because so much of it was in darkness. And, And they really tried to replicate the conditions that he was in when he's writing these letters. But he is down in a dark dungeon. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I thought about this this week, and I thought how impossible it is for any of us to live a life worthy of the calling. What is our calling in life? What has God called us to? Some people, they talk about how a a preacher has been called to preach or to pastor. But every one of us has a calling by God in our lives, and we preach and we pastor in different ways. Everybody is a preacher, folks. Your life are testimonies to the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ. And so he he says, I want you to live a life worthy of the calling. Now that is a challenge that I can't begin to imagine ever fulfilling. Because how can I live a life that would be worthy of what God has called me to, which is to be a child of his who in every day, in every way, gives off the light of the kingdom and shares the message of Jesus Christ with the world. 
This is our life's work, folks. That's what Paul is telling us. This is your life's work. You know, so, so often I would hear, especially it was very common among football coaches and athletes. They'd say, well, in my life, God is number one, and then my family, and then my team. You know, they do the kind of lists. But God would be number one. But I would say this, Paul wouldn't accept that. Paul would say, no, God is your everything. And then everything else in your life, your family, the team, whatever it is you're part of, is incorporated into that love for God. But love for God is everything. and has to run through all of those things. So that if you came to the point where it was a, it, you, you felt it was a choice between everything, you'd say, there's no choice to be made here because God is my everything. And all these other things can only exist in my life when they are part of my calling of God. And Jesus said there may be a time when you have to make a choice between God and things in this world that you love. Between fame, uh, between a job, between even a family. There are families out there who hate Jesus Christ. They hate religious people. And there are people who come to Christ and all of a sudden they've got to go back to their family and if they're going to be honest with them, they're going to have to tell them something and suffer the ridicule and the opposition of that family. So everything is wrapped up in living the life worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. And so he goes on and he gives us four things and this is about all I'm going to have time to go through in this, uh, this morning. He said, the first thing he says is be completely humble. You know, uh, sometimes... Uh, we're self-deprecating. You know, I practice self-deprecation. Self-deprecation lowers people's expectations of you. It also can be a mask for pride. You know, you go around and say, oh, that's not, you know, I'm not anything, you know, this, that, and the other. But you're really proud, but you're proud of your humility. He says be completely humble. So what does it mean to be completely humble? I think to be completely humble, according to Scripture, is to understand who we are and who God is. That our measure isn't, I'm not comparing myself to Fritz. And even then, he said self-deprecatingly, even then Fritz would win out over me because I'm such a low-life, humble guy. You're lower than I am. No, no, I'm lower than you. <laughs> uh, we're going to get in a fight over this. Who is the humblest among us? <laughs> you know, um, Where was I going with that? Oh, what does it mean to be humble? Is compare ourselves to God, not me to Fritz or, or me to Peggy or Roz or anybody else, but to compare myself to God. And I tell you what, if I keep that in mind, then I'm, I'm always going to be humbled by that relationship. Humbled by the times that I fail to do what I know is right. Because sometimes I'm lazy. Now I realize we all need a Sabbath. You know the commandment? That we need to rest on the Sabbath to keep that day holy. You realize that the commandment though, the whole commandment is six days thou shalt work. That's a commandment. Six days you shall, you're, you're going to work. And then one day you're going to rest. We see that commandment as being about rest, but it's really about work with a time to rest. So you can put all that work into some sort of sense in your head as to what it's all about. All those six days of work have been for the sake of the Lord. So on the seventh day, I I sit and I reflect in God's word about what all that work means. But I get lazy. I get tired. 
I get mentally tired, spiritually tired, physically tired. We all do that. And so, and so we're still human and we're, we're still subject to those things. And so humility comes out of realizing that even when I'm at my very best, even when, when as a human being I do the utmost that a human being can do, I still fall short of the glory of God. And I still need His grace. I still need His love. It doesn't mean I go around crawling on the ground like a worm and crying in front of everybody and telling them how horrible my life is and how horrible I am. But it means that I can go through life understanding that my true glory is in God. My pride is in the God who I serve. And that means everything to me, me, to be able to do that. I sometimes try to imagine my life, if I didn't have the connection with Jesus Christ, how would I make sense of life? How would I be able to take sometimes the insults that come along in life and the times when you're put down and the, time, and, and, and the times when you're made to feel bad and, and, you know, and, and, and people sometimes they're in marriages and, and the husband and the wife put each other down constantly. They don't support each other and people in those sorts of situations. And you get into this whole thing and I wonder, how can I do that if I can't turn to God and say, but Lord, you, you are my glory. I will take pride in you, Lord. And even if I'm the least of human beings, because you are my father and I place my faith in you, I have nothing to worry about. I don't have to worry about fame. I don't have to worry about recognition. You, O oh Lord. That's the humility that we receive. Uh, gentleness. He says, and gentle. Be completely humble and gentle. Now, the, the man who is gentle, folks, in terms of this word and how it's used in the Christian context, is not a person who just goes around and won't disturb anything. The person who goes around and says, well, i got to be gentle, so I dare not rock the boat. But instead, gentleness in the Christian context is having the strength to know when to be angry and when to be silent. It's, it's, it's how to know the things that we should be angry with and the things that we shouldn't be angry with. Now, to give you an example of that, when I see somebody being mistreated, when I see an injustice, I should be angry. We call that righteous anger, anger, right? Now, some people would say, oh, but if you're going to be gentle, you can't be righteously angry. Anger can't be there. Yes, it requires righteous anger if you're going to be gentle in the sense of Christian gentleness because you have to have a heart that can break for others. <clears throat> You see, that kind of gentility. So what is this anger that's wrong? What's the anger that's self-centered? How dare they talk about me that way? How dare they twist my words? You notice in the psalm that uh, Peggy read this morning, uh, in another section of that psalm, uh, uh, David is talking about the Philistines and what they're doing to him. And one of the things he says, they twist my words. They twist my words. But you, O oh Lord, I will trust him. Have you ever had somebody twist your words and then you get all defensive and you try to straighten the words out and it doesn't do any good? Because people twist your words because they want to believe something about you. And it doesn't matter how much untwisting you do, the words are still twisted. And you can get very defensive and self-centered about this and you can go out and you can fight the battle for yourself. See, that's not the gentleness Paul's talking about. Christian gentleness says, even when I am attacked, even when others do wrong to me, I will reflect the peace of Jesus Christ. I will love that person. Love your enemies, Jesus says. 
do good to them. See, that's Christian gentleness. And be angry, though, as Jesus was angry at times, at the things that insult God and do harm to others. Now, the third thing of the four, and I'm past, I realize that, but be patient, appropriate at this moment. Be patient, okay? 9.32, but be patient. Bob's going to stop talking at some time. We have faith. Be patient, bearing with one another. And that's everyone, even your enemies. Be patient, bear with each other. There's nothing more tragic than conflict in the church when people fight with each other. And there could be some nasty stuff that happens in churches because churches are filled with people at all uh, varying levels of the walk with Christ. And at times we let our guard down and Satan comes in and we fail. We get defensive. We attack. That happens. Paul says, bear with one another. Be gentle with each other. Don't be angry because somebody said something that insulted you. You know? Don't be angry because because, uh, somebody refuses to agree with your point of view. Bear with each other. Be patient with each other. And that's hard to do. One of the things I have learned, I'm so glad that God called me to be a pastor because I'm not sure I would have learned this in any other phase of life. But I have learned the lesson of how glorious it is to love somebody who it appears that they hate you. (laughs) To love somebody who maybe you were in conflict with at one time. And over time you can see, it's not about that all of a sudden now they agree with you, that you won and so you love them. But you can love them despite the disagreements. And you can still say, you know what, it's okay. Because we may have all this human conflict and pride and all this junk going on here. But we serve the same God and we have the same Savior. And I can love you and bear with you if we have that. And I'll set aside my human pride. I've said that that song um, that uh, uh, talks about uh, uh, we will... Walk each, with each other. We will walk hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, now the words, if I'm, I'm remembering them right, say something. And we'll save each man's digni- dignity and uh, guard each man's. We'll guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride. So if we don't say man, we say ones. You know, because we gotta be gender neutral. Um, but it says we're going to guard your dignity and save your pride. But it used to say. I will crucify my pride. Now it says I'm going to guard my pride and guard your pride. That disturbed me. Who changed that? In the 1960s, it said we'll crucify the pride. And somewhere along in our narcissistic society, we decided it was better to save everybody's pride. You know, that pride is what gets in the way. And it's why we fight each other because of our pride. Paul says, give up, give up on that. Just be patient. Bear with each other. Be long-suffering as Jesus was. And then finally, and I'll end with this, in love. In love. In love with God and in love with each other. In love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Every effort to keep unity. The bond of peace. 
This is challenging. This is challenging. But I'm sure glad that God, God loves me more than I love the people around me. Because there are times when I don't demonstrate that love. There are times when, when I need to remember that the bond of peace is only preserved when I'm willing to love as Christ has loved me. And he says, make every effort. Don't just make an effort. Don't just try a little bit. Don't just make a little bit of a concession to someone else. But make every effort to do that. You know, it's, it's not a thing of saying, well, uh, Fritz, because y'all, y'all, y'all sit up here, this is great. It's not a thing of saying, well, I tried with Fritz. I made the effort. You know, I wrote him a little note, sent him an email, texted him. I did something. But he hadn't responded, so that's all. Just, that's it. That's all I needed to do. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is our quandary right now in the United Methodist Church as we're heading towards this general conference next February where we're going to decide perhaps, or perhaps it'll get kicked down the road another few years, we're going to decide whether or not we stay together as a unified, united Methodist denomination. We have to make every effort to keep the unity and the bond of peace together. Every effort. It doesn't mean that in the end, it doesn't mean at the end that you stay unified. Because there are times when we can't walk together in the light. There are times when one group may have wandered away. One group may have made a decision. And you know that to be faithful to Jesus Christ, you've got to go a different way. And that's fine. And you can bless each other and love each other despite your differences. Maybe that's what's going to happen. But we have to make every effort. And sadly enough, a lot of people out there aren't willing to make every effort. Only a token effort. So let's make every effort. Folks, this week I want to challenge you to something. All of this, if I had done the complete sermon, one of the things at the end I was going to go to is, 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 is the danger of laziness. It's so easy to sit on the couch nowadays. Used to be people sat on the couch, they got bored, they got up and they went and did something. But now we're just, yeah, here you go. Okay, yeah. Laziness is a big danger. So my challenge to you this week is to get up and do something. Don't wait for somebody to come and do something for you. Get up and do something for somebody else. Get up on Friday evening and come to the fire pit and then sit there. It's not that hard. Okay? If you don't have a chair, I'll bring a chair for you. I'll go get you a chair. Uh, had somebody the other night. Uh, they wanted to come, but they said, well, the sun is, you know, the sun is so bright at that night, and I really can't be out in the sun. Well, I happen to have a super-duper chair that has an umbrella that comes up. So I gave him my chair. Okay? Do something. If you've never gone to a Sunday school class, get down there today and be part of a Sunday school class. Never been a part of a Bible study in a midweek Bible study, go over to the community center. If, you, if, you, if you've never volunteered for anything, volunteer over at the community center or at the food pantry or for a mission trip. Do something. Get up and make every effort to be that person who shines the light of God's kingdom and who is trying to be worthy of the calling that you have been called to. Amen. Holy Father, if we are to know joy, if we are to know true life in this life,
then we must be able to understand that the love of Christ is indeed so amazing and so divine that it demands our soul, our life, our all. Father, may we go forth to serve in your name. May we serve with patience, with love, with gentleness, and with humility. And may we know the joy of walking in the steps of our Lord Jesus Christ. And amen.